Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me for our first Texans postgame show of the season is co-host Stephen Kerr, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist. Many, many years, 60 plus years between the two of us. And it's great to have you back, Stephen. Thank you, Robert. Always good to be back. And yes, that means football is here when we're talking about preseason. Yeah, that's great. As hot as it's been, about the only thing that, you know, is, is comforting is that means football season's here. Yeah, and I tell you what, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get here quick enough because uh, I, I was very excited because of this rookie draft class that the Texans had, Stephen, and you'd think with six players <laughs> in the first four rounds of the draft, we'd have all kinds of fun guys to watch, but injuries and illness kind of killed my vibe a little bit. <laughs> I'm doing a little my, my surfer talk, but it, it killed the vibe. No first-round picks, Derek Stingley and Kenyon Green. No second-round pick, John Mechie, who we have in our prayers. No third-round pick, Christian Harris. Not to mention, no fifth-round pick, Tegan Quitteriano, or the fifth-round pick from last year, Garrett Wallow, who's been getting raves in camp. It's kind of depressing, Stephen, that we didn't get to see any of these guys. You know, I uh, we're, we're recording this uh, Saturday night, uh, right after the game, Robert, and I woke up this morning, and the first thing I saw was a text from you and it said something like, yeah, I'm really excited to see these rookies play tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that it burst your bubble. But, you know, we, we still had some excitement and some guys that uh, definitely stood out, at least in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I knew Kenyon Green wasn't going to be playing, you know, early, of course. And we know the Mechie story. We knew Stingling was going to be out, too. Yeah, and and so with the, between those two and Mechie, but the Christian Harris, uh, I don't know if I was quite expecting that, but I know he's been banged up and as well as the tight end. And if you were excited about Davis mills, you got <laughs> two, three and outs on two possessions. And I mean, a disastrous uh, first few minutes for the Texans. It was three and out for the offense. Then the saints walk it down the field for a TD. The second offensive drive starts with guard, Justin McCray who's in for Canyon Green, getting a holding penalty, which harpooned that drive. Are you about first impressions in life, Stephen? <laughs> well, you know, most of us are. And I'll tell you what, after those first two drives, Robert, I was beginning to wonder if we were watching a, an old game from last year because it just looked like the same Texans offense. The only difference, no, you didn't have Brandon Cooks. No, you didn't have Laramie Tunsil. And, of course, you got uh, a whole bunch of new running backs that you're try trying out. So the players may have been different, but the scripture looked the same, at least in those first two drives. Okay, so the Texans, their defense finally shows up in the second drive, the first good possession of the game, their, their second defensive possession, I should say, the second drive for the Saints. There was a Tremont Smith interception on a tipped pass, but honestly, Stephen, the two most defense, uh, impressive defensive plays happened right before that. You get Jonathan Owens, who... He's getting closer and closer, not not to be uh, Simone Biles' husband. He's get he's getting there. That's <laughs> he causes, right. That's right. He, he causes a fumble on that on a great strip. They don't recover it, but then Jalen Petrie, and that's one of those rookies that we were looking for, flashes everything that we've heard about. He flies into the backfield, tripping up the running back on a tackle for a loss. That's the guy that everybody's talking. I mean, Stephen, they're all yapping about him out at, at, at training camp, and for good reason. Yeah, that, that was one of the names. I probably read most about him, maybe not the most of everybody, but it was definitely up at the top. Every time I was looking at stuff for Texans camp, I, keep, I kept saying the name Petrie, Petrie. 
And yeah, he made a couple of nice plays, including that TFL, as you mentioned. You know, and then they took him out of the defense, but I noticed that he was also on some special teams right after that, Robert. So we got a good look at him, and he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. And I'm always interested, not just with the, you know, the top draft picks, but I always like to watch the guys that you don't know much about, you know, somebody who, who's going to come in and be a, a surprise or just someone that, yeah, maybe we expected some good things from, but we weren't sure. Well, Petrie's one of those guys you definitely want to keep your eye on in the next few weeks during the preseason. One of the things that I'm going to do here in the next couple of weeks, because Stephen, I know a lot of our listeners, you're on vacation. It's the summer. I can see it. We're not getting as much listenership in July. So what I'm going to do, if you missed it, we have done four different individual interviews on the different draft choices that the Texans have and, and five, including our big picture, uh, big picture interview that we did with Joe DeLeon, who covers the draft for the national podcast. And I'm going to put all those five together here in the next couple of weeks. And I'm just going to put that out. It's going to be an audio only. It's not going to be on YouTube. If you if you want to go to YouTube, there's a playlist with all of those interviews there. And just look for that Texans 2022 draft playlist. But Jalen Petrie, Stephen, if you didn't hear my guy on Jalen Petrie talking about, you know, what he saw in college and what he had heard about him. I mean, you, you, you know, this guy has got the instincts to be a really good defensive player in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, so far he's right. And, uh, you know, again, we always have to temper this with it's preseason and you don't really know. But I think sometimes, Robert, you you can get a good lead on uh, a bead, rather, on guys. Just, you know, you, you don't look for results in, in the uh, sense of wins and losses, but you look for the little things. And Petrie's doing all the little things as well as, you know, making the big picture for himself look good right now. Coaches don't like to talk good about rookies, but you're hearing some of the co- even Lovey saying some good things about Jalen Petrie. So I think that's why it's for real. And he knows what he's talking about after all. So yeah, I'll take Lovey Smith's word any day over, you know, especially when it especially when it comes to defense. All right. So the Texans, they get a turnover in their next defensive possession. Uh, this one, another real lucky turnover, I would say. And the guy that really lucks out is I'm screwing yeah, name up. I, I wasn't even going to try that, Robert. I'm brave. You know, I'm, I'm already even just at least giving it a shot. <laughs> let, let me let me do it again because it is the preseason, so I deserve to do over here. It's that's right. Okoronquo. or it's one of those yeah, two. That's close enough. You got it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just going to call him Double O. His first name is also yeah. starts with an O. I think it's Obo. Obo's yeah. His first name is Obo. <laughs> but it has a G in it. So you go figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so right after he commits a roughing the passer penalty, the Saints fumble the snap and the ball squirts right over to him. It's like, Hey, look at this. I, I'm not such a bad guy. After all, was Johnny on the spot. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I, I've probably waited way too long to talk about the next guy, Stephen. We got to talk about this because this is the story of the game. Forget everything else. Throw it all away. Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce, those first five runs, I'm just going to tell you, this is like nothing I've seen in Texans running back history. And Steven, the kid looks like he is all pro already. And this is not hyperbole. He's for real. Well, you know what, Robert? I think you just may be right. And, And the running back position is actually one of the more intriguing battles in training camp. You know, not the, just you think about Damian Pierce. You know, here's a guy who you know, the Texans really need somebody who's a good 
powerful downhill runner. And that's what Damian Pierce is. Now listen to this rubber. And I know this is college, but it's still interesting to look at. Okay, he, he had 13 touchdowns at Florida last year. Do you know how many touchdowns the entire Texans rushing game had all last year? Try eight. That's right, eight. So Damian Pierce had five more touchdowns himself than the entire Texans running back core last year. Does that tell you anything? <laughs> oh, you know what tells me something also is he did that on not many carries at Florida. That's right. That's right. Uh, it, it was something like one every eight times he touches the touch the ball or something like that. At yeah. college, he had a touchdown. Yeah. And, you know, you've got some veteran guys in here. You've got uh, Marlon Mack in there. You've got Royce Freeman, you know, Darius Anderson. But this is the guy that you know, a lot of people, again, we're talking about in camp. And he gets in, and man, he shows some speed and some, some just the, the way he powers over people. He hammered, I forgot who he, he hammered one guy on a block. He didn't have the ball, but it was not too long after one of those runs that he made a great block. So that was one of the things, and one of the question marks about him is, you know, can he pick up the blitz? Can he block? Well, at least at that one play, he certainly had a great block. So, man, this guy was doing everything, even in the, the short time he was in there. One of the friends that we have on Twitter pointed out that it sort of looked like Ben Tate. And I said, if Ben Tate had those lateral moves, yeah, he runs downhill like Ben Tate and he's got a burst. I, I, I don't know how I would compare his burst straightaway speed to Ben Tate's, but he gets from zero to 60, like very few running backs I've ever seen. But I said, if Ben Tate could run, if he had those moves, and I mean, that that first run, he made a couple of quick moves that were Barry Sanders-esque. And I don't use that term lightly. I mean, yeah, if he if yeah. Tate had those lateral moves, he'd be have, he'd, he had a speech in Canton a couple of weeks ago or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I know, you know, again, it's, it's so early in the game. But uh, something else about Damian Pierce that I thought I might point out you know, he had the most rushing yards for a Texans back in a preseason game since Alfred Blue. Remember him? He ran for 59 yards in 2015. And, you know, think what he might do when he got guys like Laramie Tunsil, you know, the other starters with, you know, Brandon Cooks making the good pass plays. I mean, if, if the Texans could just find somebody, somebody, whether it, Damian Pierce is the guy or somebody, that gives them that explosiveness that we saw tonight in the running game, even in a decent way, Robert. Just think what it would do for Davis Mills and the Texans passing game. I mean, it would change that offense in such a big way. The one thing that you just were hoping to get for once with the Texans this preseason, and you just mentioned the running game, and this is why I bring it up, you were hoping to get an offensive line that had a chance to work together consistently and that's been to me the bad story in camp so far with all the good stories with how the rookies have looked and how davis mills has looked is the story that you know titus howard's been on and off the field we've seen with what's going on with laramie tunsil it's been you know with those guys it's either covid or an injury and then Kenyon green's been banged up so the guys that you were really hoping could turn this offensive line around I'm not expecting AJ can to turn the offensive line around, but Titus being moved to right tackle and Kenyon green being able to push people out of the way at guard. That's what you were hoping for. 
These other guards, not a good lot. We mentioned it already. The guy that replaced Kenyon Green in the offensive line to start this game picks up a holding penalty in the second possession, the first play. I mean, that's the part about the this this running game that could really turn it is not just Damian Pierce, but if this offensive line gets it together with Damian Pierce, that's a whole other dimension to this team. And it takes the pressure off Davis Mills and he doesn't get, you know, hit over and over again like he did as a rookie. Yeah, it seems like we're just, uh, this is a broken record, Robert, in camp every year. We're, we're talking about either injuries or, you know, weird things going on in the offensive line. That just seems to be the one position over and over. We keep coming back to it, that guys are out. You know, they can't play for injury or, as you mentioned, COVID, whatever the case. And, you know, you, you don't expect to see guys like Laramie Tunsil perhaps play a lot in the preseason, but you need to get some action and get these guys together so that by the time the regular season does come, you've got at least some of that chemistry down and, and hoping to have some consistency. But it just doesn't seem to be happening. But it is the first preseason game. you got three more to go. So I, I'm certainly hoping we'll see some of these guys in some bit of action in the next three games. Yeah, the one thing about Davis Mills and Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks, even though we're not seeing them a lot in the game, they've been healthy. They work together in the offseason. I think those guys all went up to Oregon and they were doing that. With the offensive line, that's hard to do. You can't recreate, you know, these game situations in preseason or just the camp situations. It's not just that they're – they've missed this preseason game and I don't know what their status is going to be for next week, but it's, it's missing all these snaps in camp. So these guys can, you know, that, that chemistry amongst the offensive line is the most important chemistry, I think on the entire team amongst any group, right? Yeah, it is. And you know, you make a great point. It's pretty easy for the skill players like quarterbacks and wide receivers to, you know, throw balls to each other, but you're you're not going to have offensive linemen going out to Oregon or somewhere on a practice field against, you know, your own defensive linemen practicing this and practicing. I mean, you just don't, you don't see that as much. So it, it is a bit of a disadvantage. And then when you have injuries and things like that nature, what's going on in training camp, when they're not getting in there, it, it just makes it more difficult. There was the pass off of Damian Pierce's hands that was intercepted. And I, I just want to point out that I just thought that was a bad pass. That was not Pierce's fault. It was thrown high, Driscoll, not impressive as a backup quarterback. Let's all put our hands together and pray that we don't have to see him play at all this year, that it's going to be Davis Mills unless, you know, it gets to be trash time or junk time in a game or something like that in the yeah. mid to late fourth quarter. But uh, just, I mean, the, the, the real story, the guys that I was excited about that played were Pierce and Petrie. And I'm even more excited about those guys. It's just let's get these other guys on the field and let's see what they can do because then you can start seeing the, the Texans turn the proverbial corner, if you will, and, and and it gets to the point where on Sundays we're excited to see them play all of a sudden, Stephen, after not being too excited with you know the absence of you know what we saw with Deshaun Watson and what we saw with uh, – uh, you know, losing DeAndre Hopkins those last, you know, two or three years. And and you didn't have anybody that you're like, man, I want to go watch the Texans because I want to see this guy play. And speaking of Deshaun Watson, I, I thought it was going to be a pretty easy bar for Davis Mills to get over. And I know he had two not great possessions, although that was more an offensive line issue for, for those possessions than anything. But 
the the bar was set very low because all he had to do was be better than Deshaun Watson's one for five for seven yards and and twenty four uh, apologies for sexual assault. And I thought, well, I, I don't I don't think I don't think he's going to have to do that on Saturday. So I I think he, I think he still wins the Deshaun Watson mano a mano battle for the first preseason game. Well, I certainly agree with you, Robert. And, you know, getting back to Driscoll, no, of course, he's not going to be that. You know, Josh Allen was uh, was not activated tonight either. So, you know, he's somebody that will probably be your backup, you know, if he gets in there. But, yeah, that one play where you were talking about with the interception, he obviously looked the defense toward Pierce. He had his eye on him way too long. So you're right. He was absolutely on Driscoll. But, you know, with Davis Mills, again, just like we heard with other guys, a lot of the players were talking about, how much better they have seen Davis Mills look in this camp compared to last year. You know, you, you got to do it on the field when it counts. But again, he didn't have all his guys in there. It, it was a line issue, as you pointed out. But Davis Mills is another guy that everybody's been talking about, you know, even his own teammates and how much different he looks. Now, I do want to ask you one question, Robert. I am curious because this is something that I think Davis does still need to develop. But I'm wondering how much of it is on him and how much of it is on the Texans putting him in a situation to do this, and that is getting good at the deep ball. Now, from what I have read with uh, the Houston media that have been at Texans practices, that's not something Davis Mills has been working on very much in camp. But what, what is your take on it? Do you think that is it a case that he just hasn't been capable of throwing it or that the Texans just haven't had enough situations to put him in where he has a good chance of throwing the deep ball? Yeah, one of the people that you might have read about with that story or that take is Jason Braddock, who we had on the show recently. And if you didn't listen to that, please go back and listen to it. He says a lot of positive stuff. But when you talk to Jason Braddock and he said he's gone through the film, all the film from last year, and he said that's been a problem with Davis Mills. That was a problem, the deep ball. And it was not just that he was not throwing it uh, on target. It was the fact that he was underthrowing it and throwing it on the DB side. In other words, the, the, the inside run to where they can make the interception as opposed to missing towards the sideline right. or over right. the top. So, yeah, that is a concern. I mean, he's shown some accuracy down the field, but I think it's more in those middle routes, mid, mid, to, mid to sort of a little bit longer range, maybe 20 to 30 yards. Once it gets beyond that, I think is where, you know, he struggles. And, yeah, that's something that he's going to have to, work on but i i don't know if that's something if you're not good at it you're not good at arm strength maybe or i, I don't know what all goes into that is it something that you know can be approved on that that's something that i i, I haven't heard a whole lot in, in in past from people that you know they that they study this kind of thing with the quarterbacks well here's the thing that i noticed he is zipping the ball on the short passes it, it seemed like he was really putting a good zip on the ball in camp uh, and you're right. When you're talking about underthrowing the ball, how many times did we say that last year on the Texans uh, postgame shows that Davis Mills was underthrowing? Or, you know, there were times he would overthrow, but he did a lot of underthrowing, which led to some of that. So it is something to keep an eye on because it's it's going to be crucial, you know, when the Texans passing game can really get to where it needs to be. He he does need to be more accurate at, at the especially at the deep ball to go along with those short passes, which he definitely has the accuracy and he's been showing that in camp. And, and again, you know, aside from Brandon Cooks, you've got to get some guys in there who can catch those deep balls. But 
it, it is something that I think we should keep an eye on as time goes on. Anything more about the defense? I mean, it, it was hard for me to really gauge the defense. Like I said, that there's a couple of guys that made some plays, but I also thought, you know, they were pl- making plays against some New Orleans second quarter guys, more of the backup. I mean, it's it's just so hard in the preseason because you only see the starters usually in that first quarter. Yeah. When you have a real bad possession, that opening possession where they just walk the ball down the field and they take time off the clock, it, it's hard to be too excited about much that you saw. Like I said, the the, the Petrie stuff, the Jonathan Owens maybe, and 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 that was good. Um, it, you know, they they did make the catch after the tipped interception. So I guess that's a positive. It just felt like one of those catches that, you know, you're out in center field and it's a can of corn and you could like basically fair catch the ball. Cause it drops right into the guy's hands. It wasn't anything that he had to do a lot yeah. physically for. And there was another play later in the game, uh, guys that I don't think are going to be too much involved when we get to the regular season, but there was a, a chance off a tip, which was a great tip on a, you know, about a 20-yard pass down the field. Was that Blake Cashman? I know he he had a tip. Uh, there were a couple of tips. I think Blake Cashman made one of them. That's a pretty good play. It wiped out a potential first down. Exactly, exactly. I think I think that's the one it was. And and it, there was a, a defensive back beyond there that, that uh, you know, he just uh, was not either paying enough attention or just kind of misjudged it. Uh, but, I mean, it's, I just, like I said, I, I don't know yet. It's too hard. We'll see a little bit more. Remember, Stephen, there's only three preseason games. So, you know, these guys, I assume, are going to get a pretty long leash in the second preseason game because the third one, they usually that's the usually the the backups and the fight for the final spots on the roster. You know, that's right. And and I stand corrected, Robert. I think a little while ago I said the Texans have three more preseason games. I forgot we only do have three preseason games. So in actuality, they only have two more. So I, I had totally forgotten about that. But. You're absolutely right. It's it's something that I think we've been wanting to happen, though, for quite a while. But when you have certain guys that you hoped would get in there in tonight's game that didn't get in and you've only got two more games, you're hoping you're going to see them. And getting back to the defense, yeah, I, you know, they did have some turnovers and, and they did have some sacks. Uh, I know um, Ovo, we talked about him, uh, you know, double O, whatever his name is. He, he had a couple of nice plays. He had a sack and there were some other sacks. Uh, Booker, I think, had one, and he made some nice plays. So I, I think the defense, you know, is going to be okay. The biggest question marks, of course, are going to be in the secondary. And, you know, if we think that Stingley and Petrie, you know, they can come through, that will certainly help. And then, of course, the offense, the big question mark, the running game. So it's just been an intriguing first preseason game, especially in the first half. But then after that, it kind of went about the way you usually think it would. I said to somebody tonight, I hope Stingley isn't the defensive version of Will Fuller. We want to see him on the field. <laughs> yeah, you know, he had injuries in college, too. I mean, it is something, and and, and that kind of reminds me of something else I was reading about is, you know, are they thinking of maybe putting him on some punt returns? And I'm kind of hoping not, because they certainly, I, I think they have other options. I mean, you saw Tremont Smith and how great he returned a ball. You know, with, with Stingley, especially – if he is that delicate, you want to put him in where he's he's going to shine the best, and that's going to be on defense. One more thing, because you were just talking about the number of preseason games and that we've gone from four to three. We no longer have the Texans-Cowboys preseason game, but we do have a Texans-Cowboys regular season game this year. And on our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, if you go to the website, RG Seal, my 
original co-host did a story oh, yes. with the Texans and the Cowboys comparing the two teams position by position and who who's better where and and, and that's like where are these two teams that when you compare them as we move forward and it's a little early to you know push this out four or five years but RG gives the argument for each position this year and so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and where that article is in a few weeks when the Texans and Cowboys face each other yeah that certainly will be intriguing I guess the regular season game replaces the preseason game I mean I'll take the regular season anytime but it's always nice I don't know it's kind of a tradition when you see the the Texans and Cowboys square off in preseason so that's going to be a little bit different you know kind of kind of crazy that that's not going to happen this time was hoping they might do the Texans Cowboys on Thanksgiving, but it's a little bit after that, I believe, this uh, year. That so. brings back some memories of Oiler Cowboys Thanksgiving. Uh, what was it, 79, when uh, the Oilers beat them? So, yeah, that would be kind of nice, Robert. Yeah, I, I, as one of my favorite things growing up was that Oilers Cowboys game. And I'm sure you remember that as well. <laughs> I do, absolutely. Uh, before we go, we didn't think we were going to be talking about this when we were scheduling the show, but hey, welcome back. Lance McCullers, six scoreless innings. You know, I, I know I didn't do this publicly, Robert, but I have to eat a little bit of crow. I, I wasn't sure that Lance was ready, and I wasn't sure that he would go more than three or four innings. I mean, he, he didn't look terribly impressive in Sugarland, and I know you can't necessarily go by that sort of thing, but he was just kind of rounding himself into shape. So, yeah, I guess I have to eat a little crow and, and say, what do you go, six scoreless innings, and the Astros shut out the A's, and he was a big part of that. So at least his first start, you know, I mean, it's a, he's got a long way to go. And, you know, my whole thing with Lance McCullers is how durable can he be through the rest of the season? And that's definitely going to be a question mark for really the rest of the season in my mind, Robert. But you got to start somewhere, and he started off great uh, on Saturday night. He put a little bit more velocity than we saw in Sugar Land on those fastballs too, according to – the uh, calculations at the stadium. So I, I just feel like, you know, he knew what he was doing. He took it easy. He's ramping it up. And I cannot get excited about Lance McCullers until I see a couple of months of him looking healthy. And frankly, let's let's get through a playoffs with Lance McCullers healthy before I can, you know, throw a cheer Lance's way. You know, I just. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. And you know what? Here's the, I just thought of this. The fact that he's coming in August Maybe he will be healthy enough by the time the postseason gets here. He's not going to have, you know, 150, 200 innings under his belt by that point. Maybe he will actually be rounded into shape and be fresh enough to go through the postseason. That's You can certainly hope so. And the, the other thing about his start on Saturday night, apparently his sinker was a pretty good velocity too, like 93-something miles per hour. So it's good to see, you know, with some of the pitches and the velo that he had, you just hope he can, as you said, keep it up over the next couple months. Yeah, the only thing is, it's just like one one good thing, one bad thing, and not to say this is bad for any time soon, but the Astros' first round pick carted off the field. Drew Gilbert, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, ho I hope that's not. I mean, we're talking Saturday night. Hopefully, you guys know by the time you hear this, it was a forearm injury. Apparently, is the the last thing I saw before we went on air. Yeah, I hope it's nothing. Also, I, I really want to congratulate new Astros Hall of Famers, Tal Smith and Terry Poole. And for all of you who listen to the podcast tomorrow, look for a tribute with our classic hour long interview with Tal Smith, along with,
the tribute that Steve and I paid to Terry Poole a few months ago. I'm going to put those together in a show if you missed it or if you want to re-listen to it now that you got to see the ceremony and you saw them in their orange jackets. And I don't know if you heard them on the telecast at all, Stephen, but they they did TV, they did radio, I believe, uh, for uh, the telecast the last couple of days. And They did, yes. And those guys are extremely interesting, extremely sharp. And as I said on Twitter, for all the young Astros fans, you're like, who is Terry Poole? You know, why do I care about this guy? Whatever. If you listen to Terry Poole and that inning that he was on with the guys, mm-hmm. as you know, I was watching him. You, you, you might've heard him with Robert Ford. I was listening to him with uh, Jeff Blum and Todd Callis. Not, not just a really good player, but just a great human being, uh, Terry Poole. Well, that's right. And look, you know, he may not have the full numbers of a Jeff Bagwell or Craig Biggio or, you know, somebody like Lance Berkman, but I tell you what, it's pretty darn close. And he had some clutch hits when the Astros were in the postseason, you know, especially you think in 1980, how crucial he was in that Philly series. And even beyond that, you know, the guy deserves to be in there. This is the Astros Hall of Fame. This is not the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Is he a Major League Hall of Famer? Probably not. Is he an Astros Famer, uh, Hall of Famer? Absolutely. And it's a no-brainer as far as Tal Smith is concerned. And Robert, I'll still never forget the day when I heard that John McMullen, yeah, he was an Astros owner back in the late 70s and uh, part of the 80s. When he fired Tal Smith after that 1980 season, I couldn't have been more angry than I was at that point. Because I'm talking about this this guy's an icon as, as a general manager. And John McMullen wanted to bring in, I believe it was uh, Dick Wagner they brought in after that, if I recall. But either way, Tal Smith was so, just a great guy and such a great general manager. You know, he had several different stints with the Astros. And every time he was there, the the, the team won. So what does that tell you? Nobody liked Dick Wagner either. So that was not That's a very right. popular move. Although, you know, eventually they did get back to the playoffs in 86. And we know what happened there. But uh, Terry Poole, he told a couple of stories on the broadcast that I hadn't heard. One of the stories was when they went to sign him, his dad signed the paper, he signed the paper, but his mom had to sign the paper and she didn't want her son to leave because she knew her son wasn't going to come back. So Terry signed her name on the contract, (laughs) which was great. Well, you know, what are moms for after all? They never want their children to leave the nest, but uh, boy, I'm glad she let him go because the Astros are certainly glad she let him go. The other story, which is more amazing than that, is Terry Poole went to the Astros at age 17, and he didn't finish his second semester of high school, so he still had a class left. He comes back to his high school after the Astros, his first season with the Astros, and in the fall, he basically tells the the coach that he'll play football for them (laughs) that year if they help him and tutor him so he can get the credit for that class, which they do. He plays football and then goes back and plays for the Astros and the rest. He gets, he gets his high school diploma and the rest is history. Well, maybe that's another reason his mom didn't want to let him go. He just wanted to make sure he got, got his high school education finished. That, that could be another reason. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, Terry Poole just, yeah, loved seeing him, uh, especially loved seeing him because, you know, we see Tal a lot around uh, the, I've seen him over at the Sabre meetings and 
you know, he, he, he hangs around the ballpark a little bit. Uh, Terry Poole, don't, we don't see him quite as much. And he just retired from his coaching stint. He was coaching over in Victoria and he had been doing that for 16 years. So uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more of Terry Poole. That would be great because uh, it's good to have him there. And one of the things that I heard on the broadcast also was that Cesar DeCedeno said he was helping Jordan Alvarez learn to field in the outfield a little bit. So maybe that has hmm. something to do with Jordan Al- Alvarez's success recently. Well, you know, Cesar Cedeno is certainly a, a good outfielder as much as a good hitter. He certainly had the speed and and the moves for it. So that's probably a good thing. I, I hope that Jordan doesn't pick up some of the attitude habits, though, that Cesar had. <laughs> because, you know, Leo DeRocher, when, when Leo DeRocher was managing the Astros, he called Cesar Cedeno the laziest player on the team. That might be a little harsh because... Cesar had some great years, no doubt about it. But yeah, if he's going to teach us some outfield play, I think I'm okay with that. All right. Well, we're we're going to say goodbye, but keep an eye out because, like I said, we, we're going to have that tribute coming up. We're going to have some more shows coming up with some different things. I, I'm planning on a UT Longhorn preview next week, so keep an eye out for that. That's going to be early next week. That's the plan with one of our insiders who helps us out with the Texas Longhorns. Um, it is so good to have you back, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Yes, absolutely, Robert. It, it's always great to be with you. I know I haven't been as available as, as I usually am on the show. I've had a lot of uh, sports writing work of my own going on. and get to cover some college football this year and some other Team USA stuff, so that's been pretty exciting. But it's always great to catch up with you, and we'll do it again soon. The final for the first Texans preseason game, if it matters. 17-13, Texans do get the W. Uh, but lots of good stuff from that one. And we will talk to you again really soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.